Have you ever been desperate for something? Have you ever needed something so badly you felt like you would do anything to try to acquire it? Specifically, and and probably more importantly, have you ever been desperate for Jesus? Desperate for His presence? Desperate for His power to do something in your life? Several years ago, I read a devotion, and it was titled, Holy Desperation. I want to share a part of what it said. It said, we need a holy desperation for the presence and ministry of Jesus. If we aren't longing for Jesus, our lives and ministry activities will be routine and hollow. To be desperate means to be without hope in our current condition. Knowing that in our own power, we don't have the necessary resources required to change things. We must become desperate enough to change our lifestyle and our priorities, our time, our commitments, and our resources. Everything else must be secondary to the pursuit of Jesus in our lives. I love that. Today we're going to look at a story of a man who who was desperate. And we're going to see how his desperation caused him to seek Jesus with, with faith and determination. And how our desperation for Jesus should lead us to seek Jesus with faith and determination as well. Mark 10, verse 46 is where we're going to start. should be on page 771 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Verse 46, and they came to Jericho and later as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large crowd and a large crowd of beggar who was blind named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that Jesus, the Nazarene, was near, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. And he said, call him here. So they called the man who was blind, saying to him, take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. And throwing off his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And replying to him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the man who was blind said to him, Rabboni. I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the road. Title of the message this morning is Desperate for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You're great and glorious, wonderful and worthy. Worthy of our praise, worthy of our devotion, worthy of us setting aside this time and Just focusing on you and what you have for us from your word. Father, we have all been desperate for various things at times. And probably we've all been desperate for Jesus at one time or another. But at the same time, if we were to be honest, Lord, we would have to say we we really don't live our lives with that sort of sense of desperation for Jesus that we ought to have. Everything in this world is like a a lullaby 
lulling us to sleep. It's telling us we're enough. We have enough. We need more of these things. We don't want to get carried away with Jesus. Everything in our life, it yells and it screams and it demands for our attention. And it's really easy to let Jesus fall by the wayside, forget the desperate need we have for him. Forgive us for this. Forgive me for this, Lord. Father, today begin to work right now in our hearts to stir a deeper desire for Jesus, a deeper desperation for Jesus than than what we've ever had before. Father, this blind man had a deep and a desperate need for Jesus, but we need him just as desperately as Bartimaeus did. Show us that today. Remind us of that today. Stir our hearts. And let us follow through to seek Jesus. Find that he can meet those needs of our hearts, those desires that we have. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I would speak your words and your ways for your glory. Have your way. It is in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Everything about this passage, everything about the the story of Bartimaeus, it, it, it reeks, it speaks of desperation. Look at verse 46. And in this verse, we begin to see a a desperate condition. It says, as they came to Jericho and later, Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd. A beggar who was blind named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. Jesus at this point is headed for the cross quickly. He's headed for Jerusalem, where a week after he arrives, he will be Crucified. We know from the previous story that we looked at last week, Jesus is well aware of what's coming in his life. And as he's headed toward Jerusalem and headed toward the cross, he, he goes through the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho is an important city in the time of Jesus. It was on the, one of the main commercial roads, and it was 17 miles from Jerusalem. So its location ensured it was a, a wealthy and an important city. We know from chapter 11 that this is Passover season. So this road is now not only filled with just normal travelers, but it's also filled with Jewish pilgrims who are headed to Jerusalem during the Passover season. And on this road, there is a a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Now, a blind beggar wasn't an unusual thing because being blind or, or having any sort of a serious disability in this time left a person with very few options in life. They really only had three. If they had a wealthy relative that could take care of them, they could do that. That was rare. They could then, if they didn't have that, they could become a beggar, or they could just go off somewhere and die. Those were the only options they had. And as I said, option one is unlikely, so option two is the most common. However, some towns where the beggars, would, where the people would live, were so poor that even as they begged, they would not receive enough to sustain their life, and they died anyway. This is Bartimaeus' life. The only thing Bartimaeus actually has going for him in life 
is that he lived in and around a wealthy city like Jericho. Since generosity to the poor was an expected part of being a good Jewish person, he could expect money would be given to him. Bartimaeus would not likely starve, but he would live at the bottom of the social ladder. He would get up early every day and go to the gates of the city. And there he would beg from alms from anybody who walked in and anybody who walked out. And he would do it from sun up to sundown. And at the end of the day, if it was a good day, all of his needs for that day would be met. Bartimaeus' life was one of daily survival. He had a desperate condition. But his desperate condition, it leads to a desperate cry. Look at verse 47. And when he heard that that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to, to cry out. Now Jesus went into Jericho and he left Jericho. And on the way out, Jesus had attracted a large crowd, which was not unusual at this time. And Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus. Somehow he hears that it's Jesus. And he begins to, to cry out for Jesus. Now judging from his response, it would seem he had heard about Jesus. He had heard Jesus and the mighty works he had done. It would seem he had heard that Jesus was different from the religious leaders of the day. Jesus had a reputation for caring about those no one else cared about. He had a reputation for helping those no one else could or would help. And hearing these things and hearing that Jesus was near, Bartimaeus cried out. Now, in my study, I checked all the major English translations that I have. And and, and most all of them say Bartimaeus cried out. The only variation was a couple that would say Bartimaeus shouted. And I point this out to show the intensity of what Bartimaeus is doing. In his crying out, it's not tepid. It's not casual. It's not timid. There is an urgency to his cry for Jesus. There is an intensity to his cry for Jesus. There is a desperation in his cry for Jesus. If the stories about Jesus are true, he is the only hope Bartimaeus has. If I'm harmonizing the Gospels accurately. By this time, Jesus has already healed two people of blindness. And if I'm understanding God's word correctly, no one before Jesus had ever healed blindness before. And if I understand God's word accurately, no one after Jesus in God's word ever healed blindness again. Jesus, so far as anyone knew, was unique. In all of history, in his ability to make the blind see. Bartimaeus had never had a chance like this before. Bartimaeus would likely never have a chance like this again. And there was no way he was going to miss it by the casually going, Yo, Jesus, you think you could maybe do something? There was no way he was going to to be tepid or timid in his crying out to Jesus. Bartimaeus was crying out in absolute desperation. 
Now notice what he cried out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now the title son of David was significant to the Jews of the time. Because it was an Old Testament title for the coming Messiah. For Bartimaeus to cry out and call Jesus the son of David is a confession of faith. Bartimaeus is saying, based on what I've heard that you've done, you must be the Messiah. Bartimaeus is convinced Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God who is to come into the world. But notice, not only did he confess Jesus as the Messiah, notice his ask. Have mercy on me. Bartimaeus did not make a single demand of Jesus. He didn't come to Jesus with an, with an attitude of entitlement. Bartimaeus did not come to Jesus like Jesus owed him something. He has lived for we don't know how long blind. He has been a beggar outside of a city. His life stinks on a good day. But he makes no demands. He, there's no Jesus, you owe me anything. There is just Jesus, son of David, be merciful to me. A cry of mercy. Bartimaeus' desperate condition led to a desperate cry. And it produced a desperate determination. Look at verse 48. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. Bartimaeus is crying out for mercy. And the crowd who's with Jesus seek to shut him up. I mean, after all, Jesus is a busy man. He doesn't have time for a blind beggar. He's, he's on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover. He's still got to walk 17 miles to get there. He doesn't have time for somebody, a nobody, like Bartimaeus. So they told him to shut up. Quit seeking Jesus. Quit calling on Jesus. Leave the man alone. He doesn't have time for you. There's a truth. In this part of the story, we, we will all have to deal with at one point or another in our lives. And the truth is, there are people around us, people in our lives, who will do what they can to keep us from seeking Jesus. And, and who the people are could vary. It could be a spouse. could be a child. could be a, a parent or a sibling or a friend or, or a co-worker. But in all of our lives, there, there are people who in one way or another will, will try to do what they can to, to keep us from seeking Jesus. Now, there are a lot of ways they might go about doing this. They could just tell us to shut up, as Bartimaeus, the people around Bartimaeus did. Just quit talking about Jesus. I'm tired of hearing about it. You don't have to be so outspoken with your faith. We get it. You like Jesus. Could be they mock us to embarrass us. You know, oh, you're a goody two-shoes or... Oh, why don't you just pray about it and Jesus will fix it. 
Oh, you're fasting. Ooh, aren't you special? Maybe they'll tell us not to get carried away with all this Jesus stuff. We don't want to get carried away. You, you, I mean, you've got to have balance. We, we live in the real world. You can't, just, you can't just be about Jesus all the time. Maybe they'll bring up our past. Well, I remember. I mean, you're, you're Jesus now, but I remember back then and I saw what you did. I was there. I've got pictures you want to see. Perhaps they entice us to sin. Jesus won't care if you do this. Come on, you, you've been good for a long time. Just come for this one time and, and, and let's go take part in this. Perhaps they'll tell us our devotion to Jesus won't last. You're getting carried away. In a few months or a few years, you're going to be embarrassed that you've done all of this because this isn't going to last. I've known lots of people like you who got real excited. It, it, it didn't last in them. It's not going to last in you. Perhaps they'll give us an ultimatum. Well, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, then that's it. I mean, you're, you're just going to have to choose between our relationship or your religion, your Jesus stuff. You're just going to have to make a choice. I can't, I can't be around you when you're like this. Perhaps they would belittle the church, not necessarily the local church, but the church as a whole. I mean... Be honest. It's not like the local church or the, the universal church, especially here in America, has it's been just overly wonderful at times, right? There's there's stuff. And then if someone's in it like a town like ours, well they know people in the local churches. Well, I know those people at that church and let me tell you about the hypocrites that are there. Well, I, I knew somebody who went to that church and here here's what happened there. Perhaps they'll point out all the scandals. Ooh, hey, look at this. Here's, boy, now you, this, you're part of this group, right? Wow, I, that's a group I would really want to yoke myself up with. And, and there are just numerous ways people can and likely will try to stop us from seeking Jesus. And, and what we've got to understand, these people do not have our best interests at heart. In the broad view of eternity, in light of the reality of heaven and hell, these people are not on our team. These people are not on our side. Now, if Jesus isn't real, if there is no heaven, if there is no hell, if this is all made up, that's fine. What they're saying is just a, a good perspective. Maybe we are getting carried away. But if Jesus did die for our sins, if He did rise from the dead, if salvation hinges on Him, then anybody trying to keep us from Jesus is not on our team. And they are not for our good. And we have to recognize that. But Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus was not having any of it. He, look at verse 48 again. He kept crying out all the more. And the wording Leads me to conclude that the more they shut him up, the louder he cried out. Jesus is busy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the more they shut him down, the louder he got, the more of a fuss he made. He was not 
letting this opportunity pass. Jesus was unique in what he could do for Bartimaeus. And he was not going to miss it because of them. What an example of determination to get to Jesus. And the question for all of us is, are we this determined to get to Jesus? Are we so determined to get to Jesus that when people push us and tell us to stop, that we, rather than stop, we push back harder? We must be. Because the world is certainly going to push us back. The world is certainly going to try to get us to calm down and let up and shut up. And we must be as determined as Bartimaeus and say, I will not stop. I will not keep from Jesus. The harder they keep us from him, the more we seek Jesus. We must refuse to let up in seeking Jesus. We can't let up in seeking Jesus to keep the peace. We can't let up in keep in seeking Jesus so that we don't make waves. We can't let up in seeking Jesus to save the relationship. We cannot let up in seeking Jesus for any reason whatsoever. We must not back up, let up or shut up no matter what. This isn't just the example of a blind beggar. This is not just my words. This is, in fact, the very words of Jesus. The one who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it. The one who has lost his life on my account will find it. That's a strong passage. Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus demands we give him a greater loyalty and devotion than we do to family. Any family. Jesus Demands we give him a greater devotion than we even do our own lives, our own safety. It was a shocking statement in Jesus' day. And it's a shocking statement in our day. Yet it is what Jesus demands. It is what Jesus expects. It is all Jesus will accept. And Jesus said those who give anyone or anything else... Equal devotion to him or greater devotion to him is not worthy of him. To put this in in the context of what we're talking about today. It means we really aren't that desperate for Jesus. If we let a relationship keep us from Jesus, we're not desperate for Jesus. If we let anything keep us from Jesus deep down, we're really not that desperate for Jesus. But the question with this passage we may ask is why? I mean, why would Jesus demand such a, a ridiculously high level of devotion and expect it? I mean, that's not a it's not hyperbole. That, that's not him saying you might think about it. This is it. It's what's expected. Why? Well, to answer that, we always have to remember who Jesus is. And what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't just a miracle worker. He wasn't just a prophet or a teacher or a religious leader who lived long ago. 
He was all of that, but he was so much more. John chapter 12, we're told Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 was a vision of Jesus in all of his glory. So the glorious God in Isaiah 6 that angels praise is Jesus. The Gospel of John, the books of Colossians and Hebrews tell us Jesus is the one who created all things. So Jesus, the great and the glorious God whom angels praise. Jesus, the, the creator and sustainer of all life, willingly cast off his glory, came to earth and lived as a human. He lived a sinless life. He did great miracles, taught astounding truths. And then after 33 years of life, he was betrayed by one of his disciples and he was murdered on a Roman cross. Yet the cross wasn't a surprise. In fact, it was the whole reason he came. Jesus didn't come to give us an example of kindness. He didn't come to to teach us to love one another. He did come for those things, but those weren't the primary reason he came. The primary reason Jesus came was to die on the cross for our sins. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was the point. His death in our place for our sin was the point. And after paying the penalty our sins deserved, he was taken off the cross, he was put in a tomb, and he stayed there for three days. And after three days, he he rose from the dead, eternally victorious over sin and death. And now, because of his sinless life, his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection, we can be forgiven for our sins and we can have the hope of eternal life. We give Jesus greater devotion than we give anyone else because Jesus can do what no one else can do. We give Jesus greater devotion than we give anyone else because no matter how wonderful we may think this person is, they aren't Jesus. They didn't die on the cross for our sins. They didn't rise on the third day. They are not God incarnate. Jesus alone is worthy of our full and complete devotion to him. No one or nothing on this earth is anywhere near as worthy as Jesus is of our devotion. To put this in the context of. Being desperate for Jesus. No one can do for us. What Jesus. Can do. Whoever that person is. That is trying to keep you from Jesus. They cannot do for you. What Jesus can do for you. Doesn't matter what they offer you. It doesn't matter what they give you. They cannot do. What Jesus. Can do. Whatever it is, we are desperate for Jesus to do in us and through us and for us. Only Jesus 
can do it. Bartimaeus knew this. That's why he had the desperate determination. His desperate condition led to a desperate cry. It was fueled by desperate determination and it came from a desperate faith. Look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped. And and I won't take much time in this because it's not a massive part. But I just want you to think about Jesus and his example. He is rapidly heading for the cross. He does have to walk 17 miles. He is a busy man. And when a blind beggar calls on him with a determined cry, he stops and he calls the man to him. I won't go any further, but what an example for us to emulate in our lives. Jesus said, call him here. So they called the man who was blind, saying to him, take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. Verse 50, throwing off his cloak, he jumped up and he he ran to Jesus. He didn't waste any time. The invitation was there. He had cried. Jesus had answered. He was invited to come. He didn't say in a minute, Lord. Hang on, I'm paying tiddlywinks right now. After this Facebook video, he got up right that second and he ran after Jesus. Verse 51. And replying to him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the man who was blind said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. Notice the clarity. Bartimaeus' statement. I want to regain my sight. At this point, he didn't say... In response, Jesus said, what do you want me to do? And Bartimaeus didn't be like, I don't know. Could you do something to make my life better? Nope. Specific. Notice also that it was a statement of faith. I mean, to tell just a random person, I want to regain my sight. That's like, I mean, that's what a useless thing to say if you don't believe that the person you're talking to here can do something about it. By telling Jesus, what do you want me to do? I want to receive my sign. Right? It is a, a statement. He believed Jesus could do what no one else could do. It is a statement of helpless dependence. What do you want me to do? I want to receive my sign. Bartimaeus knew and he confessed there was nothing he could do to change his circumstances. He knew he could not fix it. He could not do it. He was helplessly dependent on Jesus. But also notice that it is, again, connects back to mercy. It is a humble statement. I want to regain my sight. He didn't make a demand. Give me my sight. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Really, I want to see. I want to regain my sight, Lord. clarity of what Bartimaeus is asking is the heart of what it means to be desperate for Jesus. There has to come a time in our lives, in our time of desperation, where we just have to lay the brutal facts out before the Lord without glossing over them, without trying to sound spiritual, without being in a hurry. Now, we often say, well, well, Jesus knows the needs. Of course he does. He knew this man's need. But he still asked and expected him to tell him. What makes us think we'll be any different? 
We have to lay it all out. Be specific. <clears throat> Desperation is not the time to say, Jesus, you know, I got a problem. Could you maybe do something to help me with it? That's not desperation. That's timid. That's convenience. Desperation says my marriage is falling apart and I can't stop it. Desperation is saying my kids are destroying their lives and I can't help them. Desperation is saying I am so depressed that from the moment I get up to the time I go to bed, I feel like I'm having a panic attack. Desperation. Saying I am so, de- I am so overwhelmed. I cannot shake how I feel. Whatever the problem, whatever we're desperate for Jesus to do, there's got to come a time in our lives where we fall down before the Lord and we clearly state the facts of our situation. The brutal, ugly, desperate facts of our situation. Look at verse 52. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Jesus healed Bartimaeus, but notice the reason he attributed to Bartimaeus. Your faith. Your faith has made you well. Think about it. Bartimaeus' faith has been on display throughout the entire story. Not just in the confession in verse 51. Bartimaeus' faith is what initially led him to cry out to Jesus. Bartimaeus' faith is what caused him to confess Jesus as the the son of David, the Messiah. Bartimaeus' faith is what humbled him to ask for mercy and not make a demand. Bartimaeus' faith is what compelled him to refuse to give up or be shut down. Bartimaeus' faith is what lifted him up and motivated him to Jesus. Bartimaeus' faith is what opened his mouth to plainly confess his need. Bartimaeus' faith is what made him recognize his helpless dependence on Jesus. And if you look at the end of verse 52 at the end, and he began following him on the road. Bartimaeus' faith leads him to follow Jesus away from everything he has ever known. In this day and time, it was not unusual for someone to live and die without ever going more than a few miles from where they were born. This would have been especially true for someone who had a significant disability like blindness. To leave Jericho, everything he had ever known, to follow Jesus to Jerusalem to the Passover, it's a great act of faith. But at the same time, it, it seems to me that it would be a natural response. I mean, if I desperately go to Jesus... He he meets my desperate need. My goodness, what am I going to do in that moment? Am I going to turn around and go set that down in my beggar position? Am I going to go back to the life I've always known and the way I've always been? Or am I going to take off and pursue Jesus with every fiber of my being? It just seems to me that what Bartimaeus does, while it is a great act of faith, it seems to be the, 
the logical response to someone who had experienced the work of Jesus in his life. So we look through this, there seems to be one overarching lesson we learn from the story. When we're desperate for Jesus, we will seek Jesus with faith and determination. Are we as desperate for Jesus as Bartimaeus was? Are we desperate enough to seek Jesus with faith and determination? What would maybe hold us back from seeking Jesus with faith and determination? And I would say that whatever it is, we need to to throw it off. Look again at verse 50. This was something I noticed this time as I was studying it. Bartimaeus has been called for, and it says, and throwing off his cloak. That seems to be a, a random fact. Of all the things Mark is recording, why mention the fact that the man threw off his cloak? That seems to be unimportant. The cloak would have been a, a long and flowing thing, a, a binding thing, if you will. To get up and run to Jesus with the cloak on would have been a hindrance. It would have slowed him down. It, it might have tripped him up. Now, the cloak's not a bad thing. He needs his cloak to live. But in getting to Jesus, that cloak is going to hinder him. That cloak is going to slow him down. And, and I thought, what about us? Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 11, 28 and 29 assures us we're invited to go to Jesus. To find rest for our souls. Hebrews assures us we're invited to go to the throne of grace. Where our high priest will give us the mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. The invitation for us is there just as it was for Bartimaeus. But have we cast off anything that might slow us down. Or hinder us from getting to Jesus. Hebrews 12 and 1 tells us that we're to to throw off, to rid ourselves of any weight or sin that would hinder us from running with endurance the race Jesus has set before us. Now, a weight in the context of Hebrews 12 is anything that would hinder us or anything that would slow us down as we seek Jesus. But a weight is not necessarily a sin. And since weights aren't necessarily sins... They won't be the same for everyone. Do you know, something could be a weight for me to slow me down and hinder me in seeking Jesus, but it wouldn't be for you. And the other way around. You might have something that's a weight for you, but it wouldn't be for me. To to rid ourselves of the weights means that, that we are so desperate for Jesus, we rid ourselves of the weight, even if we're the only ones in our, 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 our friend group, our group that has to do it. Even if everyone else can, we know in that moment we cannot. And we are so desperate for Jesus that though we have to be the only one who lets it go, we are willing to let it go. It's difficult. It's difficult when everybody has to do it. It's especially difficult if we're the only one that it hinders or slows down. That's why it's hard for us to do. And it takes a great deal of of spiritual maturity 
Right? Because it takes a great deal of maturity for me to say, well, I'm going to have to let this go. But Joe, you don't have to. Because what I would want to do in my flesh, in my immaturity as, a, as a, if I was a child, would be, well, I've had to get rid of this so everybody else does too. That's not fair. But that's not the way the world works. It's not the way Jesus works in this. Maturity to say, I'm going to let it go no matter what anybody else does. And it takes a deep desire for Jesus. A deep desperation for Jesus. So what about us today? Are there weights in our lives that we have to rid ourselves of so that we can really press in and seek Jesus? If so, what are they? I would guess... For many of us, we already have an idea of what might be slowing us down. We might have an idea already of what might be hindering us. Are we ready to remove those things? Rid ourselves of them? Here's what happens. The longer we carry our weight, the harder it gets to carry the weight. It gets heavy. In the army, we... Did a lot of road marches with heavy backpacks. Put a 50-pound pack on and you take off. And the first couple of steps, 50 pounds on your back, didn't seem all that bad. 12 miles in, it felt like a, carrying an elephant on your back. The longer you carry it, the heavier the weight gets. But this isn't a weight that you have to carry. It's a weight you can lay aside. And, and what will happen is we're going to carry it, but we're going to keep trying to seek Jesus despite carrying it. There'll come a time, there'll come a point, a moment, and the weight is so dead gum heavy that it seems impossible to keep seeking Jesus. And we will be brought to a place where we make a choice. And we will either shuck off the weight and keep going after Jesus, or we will say that way is too hard. And we'll start going back this way where it's easier. Listen, make no mistake, that weight's not a sin, but you will not carry that weight and pursue Jesus indefinitely. You will come to a point where you make a decision and you will either quit seeking Jesus or quit carrying that weight. And, and, and just, just recently I, I've had a, what I've seen, what I've seen. Most people, when they get to that point, if they don't do it in the moment that Jesus is dealing with them, if they wait till that moment, they don't toss the weight. They toss Jesus. Our community is filled with examples of this. Our community is filled with people who are at one point active in churches, serving the Lord. Something hindered them, something slowed them down, and along the way, they just decided the weight was more important than Jesus and they gave up on serving Jesus. You can go to wherever you live, around your neighborhood, you'll find lots of examples. This isn't just my opinion or my idea. All around us, we see it. We will not indefinitely carry the weight while continuing to seek Jesus. We will at some point ditch one or the other. And just the reality though, if we're not willing to ditch the weight, 
what it shows us is we really aren't that desperate for Jesus. When we're desperate for Jesus, we throw off immediately anything that hinders us from seeking Jesus. When we're desperate for Jesus, we throw off quickly anything that slows us down following Jesus. Are we desperate for Jesus this morning? Are we desperate enough to be honest about how desperate we are for Jesus? Are we desperate enough to cry out to Jesus for help? Are we desperate enough to press on in faith despite any opposition we may face? Are we desperate enough to refuse to shut down and let up in our seeking of Jesus? Are we desperate enough to go to Jesus and lay our problems and needs before him with a raw, brutal honesty? Are we desperate enough to throw off any weights or sins that hinder us in seeking to Jesus? Are we desperate enough to go to Jesus and say, is there any weight in my life? Is there anything in my life that's slowing me down and hindering me from seeking you? Let's all stand. For our time of of response, it's it's just simple. If you're desperate for Jesus this morning, I invite you to come to the altar and cry out to Jesus.